Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting with verse 5, reading through verse 8. As we talk about being double-minded, what the Word of God has to say about this subject, it's actually a warning that we read about in the Word of God. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God. Isn't that good? How many ever lack wisdom? I think we all do. And so it's very clear. He says, if you lack wisdom, do what? Ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. If I were to read that from the King James Version, it reads this way. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. One more time. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You know, the story is told of two men that lived in a small village, and they got into a terrible dispute with one another that they could not resolve on their own. So they decided they were going to go individually and talk to the town judge. The first man went to the judge's home and told his version of what had happened. When he finished, the judge said, you're absolutely right. The next night, the second man called on the judge and told his side of the story. The judge responded, you're absolutely right. After the judge's wife scolded her husband, she said to him, those men told you two very different stories and you told them that they were absolutely right. That's impossible. They can't both be absolutely right. The judge then turned to his wife and said, honey, you're absolutely right. <laughs> now that's a man of great wisdom, right? The Bible says the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I want you to consider with me, first of all, this morning, a profile of a double-minded man. What does a double-minded man look like? You know, the Bible says then that the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now, the term double-minded literally means to be of two souls or of two minds. It is the picture of that which is made up from Scripture, where the Bible says we're a body, soul, and a spirit. The soul is the thinking part of man. It's the cognitive part of man. And so it's literally saying here, a double-minded man has two souls or two separate minds by which he thinks. The original Greek paints a picture of a person that is two-headed. If you look at the screen, you'll see here an individual that is double-minded. He is wavering in mind, undecided, unstable, and looking in two directions at the very same time. So a double-minded person is one who looks forward and backwards at the same time. Remember Lot's wife? We talked about her last week. She was double-minded. She was on the way out of the city of destruction, and at the very same time, her heart was all back in Sodom. And so we find the double-minded man then, or person, is looking both forward and backward at the same time. One mind is sold out to Jesus Christ while the other is in love with the world. And like the waves of the sea, the Bible says, that individual is tossed and driven. 
One day, they're this way, the next day, they're the next. They're wishy-washy, would say, back and forth, back and forth. They live their lives in confusion, and they spread confusion to others as well. The double-minded man lives with many regrets. He's always guessing, I could have, I might have, I should have, I would have. In pursuing education, for example, an individual is double-minded, they will change their major almost every other week. In their vocational life, they're never satisfied. They're the kind of individual, you talk to them and they've done almost everything under the sun. We would say they're the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. Uh, they're never settled. They're always pursuing the next thing, and that is the way they live their lives. In marriage, someone that's double-minded, even though they stand at an altar and they'll commit themselves until death do they part, their eyes and their heart begin to wander. All through the ebb and flow of marriage, when things are difficult, they begin to talk about divorce. I think of an interview that took place between Dr. Billy Graham and his wife, Ruth, and uh, the press. And they asked the couple that day, um, do the two of you ever argue? Do you and Billy ever argue? And uh, Ruth Graham answered and said, no, we never argue. Sometimes they can hear us discussing things two blocks away, but we never argue. And the follow-up question was as well, have you ever considered divorce, the two of you? And she said, never divorce. Murder many times, but never divorce. So the Bible says that the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He is one that's wishy-washy, on and off, and always a wee bit confused. Now the word unstable, the Bible says that they're unstable. The word unstable in the Greek means to stagger like a drunk. They're restless like the sea, and they're fickle in their relationships. One day they're on, the next day they're off. One day they love you, the next day they hate you. One day they're for you, the next day they're against you. The double-minded man lacks peace. And the reason why they lack peace is because their decisions lack any kind of a conviction. Decisions that they make, the double-minded man is made upon their present feelings, their emotions at that moment, their desires which are likely to change and rather than basing their decisions upon the eternal word of God, and upon God's wisdom and insight, they base them on their own present feelings, emotions, and desires. Now, friends, we need to know this morning and be reminded once again, though Pastor Dan did just a few moments ago, that God deeply cares about each and every one of us. I'm amazed to think that God knows all of us by name. Matter of fact, he knows where we're at right now. The Bible says he knows our thoughts when they're near and when they're far away. He knows when we're in moments of confusion. He knows when we're seeking his face and when we're just kind of all messed up. He knows all of these details about us. And he deeply cares about us. And he wants to give us wisdom regarding our education, our vocation of life, the location whereby we're going to live, the choice of one's mate, how we earn money, how we spend money, all of this God is deeply concerned about. And the Bible says that the double-minded man, he vacillates back and forth in all of these categories of life. 
In James chapter 1 and verse 5 now, once again, he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God. If you're lacking wisdom regarding education, vocation, location, where you should live, or income, or all of these things, he said, I want you to know that if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who will generously give all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So the profile. Let's think about it for a moment. What is the biblical profile of someone then that is double-minded? It's an individual that is two-headed, two-spirited, two souls, vacillating, unstable, restless in everything they do in life. Well, what is the source of this problem? Friends, what creates a double-minded man? What is it that causes an individual to become two-souled or two-headed. I believe the root problem is a simple lack of understanding of one's salvation and the new birth that we experience. Friends, the Bible says that we've been born again. And to be born again is interesting in Scripture, for the Bible says, not born of the flesh, but born of the Spirit. And so at that moment that we give our lives to Jesus Christ, there's a transformation that happens in our lives. And we must understand and thoroughly embrace this brand new life that he gives us. As Christians, we do not simply add Jesus to our old life. He becomes our very life. It is what Paul says, and he is quoting from the Old Testament, when he says it is in him that we live and move and have our very being. Think about that. This day, it's in him that we live and move and we'll have our very being. It's all in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Notice there, he's brand new. You're brand new when you come to Christ. And the Bible says about the old things, old things are passed away. They literally, they die, they shrivel And behold, all things are become what? Say it. They become new. So if we're going to have this new mindset, we need to be single-minded and understand what redemption has done in our lives. The old has passed away, the new has come, and the Bible says in verse 18 there, the very next verse, and all things are of God. We don't think the same way. We don't live the same way. We don't have the same temper tantrums that we once had. We don't earn money the old way. We don't spend money the new way. All of this comes new. All things are of God. Now look at Matthew 6 and verse 24. These are the words of Jesus. He says, no man can serve two masters. It's impossible to serve two. So you cannot serve two minds two mindsets. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Notice there's no room for two. One has got to go. The old life has to go and be buried in baptism and be buried with Christ. You cannot serve both God and money, is what the Bible then said. Jesus, his words. He said, so you can't serve two masters. You can't have two mindsets. You're going to go in one direction and you'll abandon the other. 
And he says it goes all the way down to the way we handle money. You cannot serve both God and money. I love the decisiveness when I go through the scriptures of a man by the name of Joshua. Joshua, just prior to his death, he gathered together the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel, and he gathers them in a place called Shechem. And at Shechem, he begins to tell them how God brought them out of Egypt and how God provided for them along the way and how good God has been to them and how when they faced, you know, giants in the land that God gave them, you know, the, the plan to overcome and just went through all of their history. And then he tells them, I will not be able to lead you much longer. I'm now an old man and it won't be long and you'll be kind of on your own. But he wants them to know they will not be on their own. Look at now, Joshua 24, here's what he says. He summarizes up his, his speech, if you want to call it that, his farewell speech to him by saying this, now fear the Lord and serve him. You know, friends, I fear there's not enough fear of the Lord these days. You'll never go wrong in having an awe and respect and a holy fear for God. He said, it's all going to start right there. Remember, the Bible tells us in the, in, in the Proverbs that the, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. And so Joshua says, I'm about ready to depart now, but I want you to remember this. Now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. That word faithfulness there can be, be implying that I want you to serve him with a sold out heart and mind, one mind towards God. And he makes it even clearer. He says, throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So throw away those old gods, whatever it was in the past. Look at verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. Then he summarizes up his own position in this. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He is resolute. He is not wishy-washy. He is not two-minded. He says, I've made up my mind, and as for myself and for the influence I have within my family, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. A couple of years ago, I did a series on Joshua, and out of this portion of scripture of Joshua 24, on that particular Sunday, and many of you will remember this, I gave every person that came to the services that day I gave them a stick that was about 18 inches long, one inch wide, and it was sharpened as a stake so you could drive it easily into the ground. And then all of us took Sharpie pens, black pens, and we wrote in this permanent ink on that stick, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And I encourage you to go and take that stick home and drive it in the ground right by your front door, whether you live in an apartment, in a single home, I want you to drive it in the ground by that front door so that every time you come or go and any time a guest comes and go, including the mailman or anyone else, they will see, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And uh, it's been interesting over the years to watch how, you know, those, those stakes are still in the ground. 
When I come and go from my house, it's right there as a reminder of that commitment that I have made and my family has made that we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to give him full attention, not with a divided mind, not with a double mind, but with a single mind. As for me, my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And how many of you have sent me pictures by your front door over the years? Mine is beginning to fade, but I want you to know this. Our decision that we're going to serve the Lord has not faded. Amen? And we're going to continue on serving the Lord. He was resolute in that. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it records one of the saddest statements, I believe, in the New Testament. It is the account of one of Paul's missionary associates by the name of Demas. Demas had been on missionary journeys with Paul. Demas had seen the miracle-working power of God. Demas, I believe, probably even preached the message on occasion along with Paul. He had traveled with him, he ate with Paul, he saw the good hand of God. But here's what Paul writes about this man called Demas in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, and I find it so sad. For Demas has forsaken me. Have you ever noticed that in the scriptures? But Demas has forsaken me. Why? He had to have a double mind because listen what he did. Having loved this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica. Paul says this one by the name of Demas. I mean, we're, we're best friends for life. We shared in the gospel. We shared meals together. We shared dusty roads and hard and difficult journeys together. But all of a sudden, one day, what he had been thinking about in the back of his mind, Demas. And Demas must have been thinking, it's not worth it. Why should I be out here traveling with Paul when I could settle down and be in Thessalonica? And maybe he was thinking about some of the finery that's there in Thessalonica. We don't know the whole detail behind it, but we do know this. Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and he departed for Thessalonica. Here's the deal, friends. Right thinking produces right doing, and that will produce right feelings. Right thinking always precedes right doing. Conversely, the other is true as well. Wrong thinking, evil thoughts, dwelling on these things, if you do so in time, they will, just like it did for Demas, it will capture you and take you back to Thessalonica. So it's right thinking produces right doing, which then produces the right feelings that we want in our lives, which is feelings of peace, feelings of tranquility, feelings that we're right with God, that only comes from being in that right place with God. You see, the longer one dwells on wrong thoughts, the more confusing and convincing these errant thoughts will become. That's why the Bible says we're to take every single thought captive. As soon as it begins to, to come to mind and you realize this is not in accordance with God and God's plan or will for my life, this is not according to the word. The Bible says we take that thought and we literally put it within a prison. We do not allow it to run wild. And so we captivate those thoughts. 
The Bible says, furthermore, that we are to give no place to the devil. So when thoughts come our way, we do not allow those thoughts to germinate in our mind. We do not allow them to ruminate inside of our, our minds. The longer you do so, the more believable it will become, and the deeper the roots will go. And suddenly, like Demas, the man that has two minds, a mind for God, but he feeds this mind that is contrary to God, and suddenly they go astray. So what is the prescription then? How can we keep from having a double mind? First of all, we need to understand that our faith stands on the word of Almighty God. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. And if I were to say that in the plural, if God said it, we believe it, and that settles it for us. Amen, church? If God said it, that settles it. It all starts, I believe, with believing and embracing and being single-minded about the first four words of the Bible. Now you say, well, the first four words of the Bible, if you go back to Genesis and the very first book of the Bible, matter of fact, Genesis means the beginning. So if we go back to the beginning, the very first book of the Bible, and we go to the very first chapter of the Bible, here's what it says. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Being single-minded all starts right there. And if you stumble on the first four words of the Bible, if you are not convinced that this is the mind and the heart of Almighty God, that in the beginning, before anything else was created, it was God. If you stumble there, you'll stumble over everything else recorded in this book. It all starts with the first four words, in the beginning, God. And then it goes on to say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and they were void and without form, and the Spirit of the Lord rested on this, this chaotic state of the origination of the earth and brought forth the beauty of creation that we know today. And then ultimately we read about on day six how God created Adam from the dust dust of the ground and how he put the breath of life within him and he became a living soul. This we believe. And it becomes the foundation. We're not double-minded about it. It makes no difference what they may say. We know that when truth is found and truth is ascertainable, which means it can be assessed and it can be declared as such, when truth is known, it's never in disagreement with the word. This is the truth. And the Bible says of Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we base our lives, that is the prescription, and we start right out from the very beginning, that in the beginning it was God, and what did God do? He created all things, and the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that the things are now seen, which is the heavens above, they did not come from that which once was. God created it all. Ex nihilo, and that term means God created everything from nothing. He spoke it into existence. I want you to know that he can still speak into existence. Whatever is lacking in your life, whatever is troubling you today, he can speak that out of existence. God can do more 
than we'll ever imagine. And the Bible said he's able to do it exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or ever think. And so it all starts right there. And if you stumble then on the first four words of the Bible, in the beginning God, you're going to be stumbling around double-minded all life long. You must know what you believe. And you must know why you believe it. And you must be single-minded about it. You know, the first century church, they knew the importance of knowing and articulating their faith from one to another and then passing it on from generation to generation. And hence, they together, they drafted what is known as the Apostles' Creed. We know that it goes back to about 140 AD at least, and even probably earlier than that. Some of you probably have memorized that, and some of the church services that you have been in, and some of the traditions that you were raised in, the Apostles' Creed may have been something that was quoted even every single Sunday. But here's what I want you to do for the next moment with me, if you will, please. I'm going to read the Apostles' Creed. And when I pause, and if you agree, you'll say amen, all right? Let's do it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. You're not sure about that one. The Bible says he went into the bowels of hell itself and led captivity captive. He tore the gates right off the bars of hell itself. And he led the captives away. He descended into hell. I'll give you one more chance. Pretty good. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. This we believe. Hallelujah. This we believe. I want you to listen to the powerful confession of the Apostle Paul. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Paul writes and he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I'm not going to be too minded about this. I'm not going to be worried about the circumstances, situations that I'm either facing now or in the future. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In the back of his mind, he's saying, there's nothing. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, bad times are the words, as it is written for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Matter of fact, that term that is used there, it's a fascinating term in the original language. 
It means that we are preeminently victorious. No matter what comes our way, we're preeminently victorious. We're going to come through. We're going to come over. We're going to come through it because Jesus is on our side. Nay, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now listen to what he says next. For I am persuaded. He is saying, I am convinced. I am single-minded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, I've made up my mind. Hallelujah. I am persuaded, he says. I love that. I'm not of two minds. I'm not like a drunk staggering around in my theology. I know in whom I have believed, and I know that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day, is what Paul says. And he's saying, I committed my life to him, and my life is safe in the hands of the one that said, let there be light, and there was light. The one that said, let there be life, and put the breath of life within that that clay body of Adam, and he became a living soul. I've made up my mind. I'm persuaded is what he's saying. I'm singularly minded. Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, knowing the cross was before him. Remember, the cross and the crowd did not catch Jesus off guard. Some say Jesus was caught in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong crowd and they crucified him. Not so. The Bible says before the foundations of the earth Jesus was already the Lamb of God prepared as one that would give his life for us. Jesus knew what awaited him in Jerusalem and on the way to Jerusalem, here's what the Bible records, he set his face aflint. Have you ever seen a flintstone? You know, if you take a, another piece of rock and it'll, sparks will fly, you can take, you know, a flintstone like that, you can sharpen knives with it. Well, again, it'll cause a sharpening of the edge. The Bible uses that term, Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem. He set his face a flint, meaning that sparks were flying. All of hell was trying to stop him. All of hell was saying, they're not worth it. Why would you go on a mission to die for people they are going to cry out, saying, crucify him, crucify him in just a few days' time? But he kept the path. He was singular-minded. He kept to the mission. What was the mission? To seek and to save the lost. He had come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. That's why he kept to the, to, the, to the plan and kept to the road on his way to Jerusalem. He was singular-minded. It was Elijah on the Mount of Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal have gathered there. Matter of fact, if you combine the two groups together, there's probably upwards towards 850 false prophets. 
In addition to that, there was many of the tribes of Israel gathered there. And what does he say to them? Elijah says, how long? How much longer are you going to halt between two opinions? How long are you going to have two mindsets? How long are you going to say, well, you know, maybe God's the way and maybe Baal's the way. Maybe the way of the Amorites or... Here's what he said to him. He said, how long are you going to have two minds? How long are you going to sit there and vacillate back and forth? How long are you going to be double-minded? Then he says this. If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, if he's God, then follow him. But make up your mind. Make up your mind. Be resolute. Make your mind up. Make your choice. Is it going to be Baal or is it going to be God? Are you going to serve the one that created the heavens and the earth or this one that is made out of of stone by man? Make up your mind is what he was telling them. The double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I'm so glad that we can have a resolute mind for Christ. The Apostle Paul says, this one thing I do. He was sold out. And when you sell out, you're simply saying, I've made up my mind. And I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. And there's no going back. I'm serving him. They may call me a fool, but I'm following him. They may say there is no God, (laughs) but I've talked to him all day. They may say there's no heaven. Oh, I know there's a place that's prepared for me. And we don't vacillate. And we don't allow the enemy to, to throw in doubts. We take them captive. And when we see things that is contrary to the word, contrary to the will of God, contrary to the wisdom of God, we put it aside. I want you to bow your heads in prayer with me, Father. Lord, this morning we've, we've looked at what it's like, the miserable life of someone that's stumbling around with double-mindedness. They're wishy-washy. Anything, any wind that blows in any direction, that's where they're at. We all have friends and loved ones that may fall into that category. One day, their winds are blowing in this direction, the next day, another. They go into everything in life with a whole heart of confusion because they're, they're not relying upon the one that created them. So Lord, this morning, Lord, we want to be people that are resolute, unmovable. Our decision to follow you, no matter what comes our way, Lord, is the decision we want to abide by and stay by. Lord, we're so glad that you're concerned about every area of life. 
You're concerned about our education, our jobs, our vocation, the location where we live, knowing that you are planting a little bit of heaven, like the song says, in the neighborhood, a lighthouse. Lord, you're concerned about the location. You're concerned about our mates. Father, you've got something to say about everything that's important in life. And your word simply declares that if we lack wisdom, if we lack understanding what to do with all the information we've got, then call upon God. So Lord, today I believe that you're gonna give direction. You're gonna give instruction. Lord, for others today, they're gonna simply say, no more going back and forth like the drunkard wandering on a sidewalk. I've made up my mind. I'm gonna serve the Lord with all my heart. It's gonna be a singular, singular heart for God, singular minded. And I pray, oh God, that the decisions that are made today are gonna be like the decisions made on Mount Carmel. Choose ye today whom you're gonna serve. And Lord, we're gonna quickly respond saying, Lord, we've made up our mind, like Joshua, for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And I pray, oh God, that you'll place a seal, Lord, of approval on that decision today in such a way and men and women will walk out of here knowing no more doubt, no more being driven back and forth by every wind and every whim, but now they're followers hard and fast after Jesus Christ. I would love to pray with you today. If you're at a moment of decision and you're saying, I'm not sure which direction to go, God's got wisdom for you. You've gathered all the information, so you've got knowledge, but Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know. God will help you find direction. And some of you today, you simply need to say, Lord, I've been double-minded. Some days I'm on, some days I'm off. Some days I'm on and off and on and off and on and off all day long. And I want to be singular-minded. And you want to just settle that with the Lord. I'd love to pray with you today if that's in your heart. As Mike begins to sing this wonderful chorus, it'd be my privilege to meet you here to pray for you just before we dismiss.